The title of my sermon this morning is Reject or Accept. Reject or Accept. The other day, I don't remember how this came up, but I found this story. In, in 1986, 20-year-old Christopher Thomas Wright entered the woods of the North Pond area of Maine without saying goodbye to anybody and stayed there for the next 27 years. So this guy goes out, he enters the wilderness of Maine and stays there for 27 years with very minimal contact with the rest of society. What makes this even more amazing is the fact that he, that he literally survived some of the worst winters you could ever possibly imagine. I mean, with minus 25 degree temperatures, unbelievable. And he did this with very little fire. For some reason, he was afraid that the fire would attract too much attention. So what he would do is he would, in the middle of the night when he's freezing, because, you know, it's minus 25 degrees out, he gets up and he runs around his camp, gets the blood flowing, and goes back to bed. But this man literally had, he survived with, with a, um, what do they call it, like a Coleman stove type thing, a camping stove, and that's how he would melt water, and he would steal food from nearby camps, like I guess they were like, you know, like the summer camp type places. He would steal food and propane from these camps, which is actually how he got into himself into trouble. On April 4th of 2013, he, he was arrested by a game warden while stealing supplies from the Pine Tree Camp in Rome, Maine. He was charged for, the, for all the burglaries that he had been committing over a period of time and was actually sentenced to several months in jail. Of his desire to live this life of isolation, Knight says this. He said, solitude bestows an increase and, okay, and let me read this again. Solitude bestows an increase in something valuable, my perception. But when I applied my increased perception to myself, I lost my identity. There was no audience, no one to perform for. To put it romantically, I was completely free. Interesting thoughts. Now, I would have to say that, you know, I mean, obviously I would never be able to leave my family behind, but if my family weren't in the picture, I don't know if I'd want to leave electronics behind. I mean, how this guy, imagine coming out of the wilderness, he had never known any, really anything about the Internet or cell phones. I mean, how crazy is that? You know, he, was, he, was, he went into the wilderness in 1986. I mean, there really wasn't Internet and cell phones back there from what I understand. And he, this guy comes out of the wilderness, and now he has all this technology to deal with. You kind of would wonder why he didn't just run away and go back into the wilderness. I'm sure he would, or he must have by this point. I don't know. And of course, Christopher Knight wasn't the first and won't be the last person to live a nomadic life uh, without much contact with anybody else out in the middle of nowhere. In a similar fashion to Mr. Knight, John the Baptist lived a similar lifestyle. But unlike Christopher Knight... John wanted as many people as possible to hear about what, hear what he had to say regarding the coming Messiah. This morning we're going to continue our study through the seventh chapter of the Gospel of Luke and hear about the messages of Jesus as well as John the Baptist. Finally, we're going to ask ourselves whether we reject or accept what they have to say. But before we go any farther ahead of ourselves, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father in heaven, I thank you and I praise you for all that you've done. Bless us now as we enter your word. Enlighten our minds as we try to partake in it and as we try to apply it to our lives. Bless me. Allow me to say only what you want me to say. And allow all of us to truly go home today with something we can apply in our own lives. In your wonderful name. Amen. If you have your Bible, go ahead and open to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. If you don't have a Bible, there's probably one right in front of you. So Luke chapter 7 is where we're headed. Luke chapter 7. So like I said, for the last seven months since I've been here, we've been making our way through the, the book of Luke. 
And we are in the seventh chapter. Last week we talked about how a centurion's slave was sick and on his deathbed. The centurion sent people to talk to Jesus, and, and, and Jesus ended up healing this man's servant, his slave, from a distance without entering his presence. We also talked about how Jesus was entering the village of Nan, and as he's entering this village, a, a young man who had died, the only son of a widow, was exiting uh, the village. Jesus ends up healing this man, bringing him back to life. I don't know if you can say bringing someone back to life is healing. Jesus brought life back into this man. He inserted life in that man and brought him back to the state of the living. In these two miracles, we witness much of Jesus' awesome power as God. This week, Luke is going to record an encounter between John the Baptist through his disciples and our Lord Jesus Christ. I have come up with a couple questions taken from the text, of which the text also answers those questions. So I have three questions I want to ask. Question number one, well, I should have clicked there before, who is Jesus? And of course, Jesus is the Messiah. Who is Jesus? And he is the Messiah. Look at Luke chapter 7. We're going to read verse 18 and 19, and eventually I'm going to go all the way down. I'm not in Luke, I'm in John. Um, we're going to make our way all the way down, I believe, to verse 35. But we're going to start off with 18 and 19. So Luke chapter 7, verse 18 the disciples of John reported to him about all these things. Summoning two of his disciples, John sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the expected one, or do we look for someone else? So John the Baptist's ministry as a whole was rather short. Like It wasn't like it was many, many years. You figure pastors in this day and age, I forgot what the average time a pastor is at a church, but a lot of them are there a little bit longer than a year. And that's what John was essentially ministering for a year before he was arrested. I mean, imagine if I was here for about a year, and then the reason I'm no longer your pastor is because I was arrested. I'm sure you guys would have some questions too. But that's what John has going on. He has some questions. At some point following his arrest, Jesus, or John sends two of his disciples to Christ. I, in my mind, so John has a calling from God. God tells John somehow through whatever purpose that he is the one to precede the Messiah. So John is ready to go. Obviously, the guy was eating locusts out in the middle of the wilderness. Of course, he was ready to go. John was just, he was on fire for the Lord. And what happens? He gets arrested and thrown into prison. I mean, obviously, someone must have told him about his, his childbirth, the whole story behind his birth, as well as Jesus' birth. So he must have known that Jesus was supposed to be the Messiah. But then he's thrown into prison. He's trying to figure out what's going on. In John's mind, he was thinking... That, that the kingdom of God was going to become, uh, it was a physical kingdom. That, that, the, that the Messiah was going to rise up, that Jesus was going to rise up, and the entire people of Israel were going to be freed and given physical salvation. He didn't understand that the salvation that the Messiah was going to bring was a spiritual salvation, the one that we all partake in if you believe in Jesus. Since none of this had happened and since he was in prison, I can imagine that John was a little discouraged. That's kind of the point I'm getting at. So he sends two of his followers to ask Jesus the question, and here's the question again from verse 19. Are you the expected one, or do we look for someone else? So the people of Israel have been searching for the Messiah. They've been looking for the Messiah for many, many years. John is under the impression that Jesus is the Messiah. If we looked in the Gospel of John, John more or less said, that's the one, that's the Son of Man, that's the, he's the guy, go follow him. But then all of this has taken place, and he's a little confused. His current situation makes him doubt whether that's the case. That's my interpretation. We don't know that for sure. But that's kind of what I'm envisioning here. John is asking the question because he's doubting whether it's true or not. 
I mean, nothing has come out of it. Jesus hadn't risen up. He's not on the throne of David in Jerusalem. None of that's taken place. The Romans haven't fled back to Italy. None of that's happened. So John is confused. He's not sure what's going on. So he asked Jesus point blank, hey, are you the Messiah? You know, expected one is a clear reference to whether he's the anointed one, the Messiah, or not. Now look at verse 20 and 20, 20 to 23. We'll see Jesus' answer to John. Verse 20. When the men came to him, when John's men, his two disciples, came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you to ask, are you the expected one or do we look for someone else? At that very time, he cured Jesus, cured many people of diseases and afflictions and evil spirits and gave sight to many who were blind. And Jesus, and he answered and said to him, go and report to John what you have heard and seen. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleaned or cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And I think I'm going to pause, right? No, I'm going to read verse 23 too. Blessed is he who does not take offense at me. So Luke writes that John's disciples delivered John's question to Jesus. Luke also recorded that the, the, he recorded the fact that Jesus had been performing miracles that people had seen. This is evident in that that's essentially what John's disciples said to him. In verse, look at verse 18 again. The disciples of John reported to John, to him, about all these things, meaning probably more specifically the beginning verses of, of chapter 7 with the two healings that had taken place. Again, the, the healing of the centurion slave and the raising to life of the widow's son. This information had made its way back to John. But Luke also tells us that this information of the miracles of Christ has been very relevant, very evident to everybody around him. It's not something that's been hidden. This is information that they've all known about. And then in verse 22 and 23, Jesus tells John's followers to report back to him about all the different miracles that they have personally witnessed as well as those that they have heard about. The, uh, let me, uh, let me, what do I want to say here? So Jesus, uh, the, uh, verse 22, talked about the things that he had done. Luke recorded the activities that he had done. He said that Jesus cured many people of diseases and afflictions and evil spirits, and he gave sight to many who were blind. And then in verse 23, Jesus literally said what he did. Jesus explained what he did. Or not 23, verse 22. He said, the blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear the dead are raised up, the poor have the gospel preached to them, which that is the key part of all of this. I don't have the ability to heal people. Sometimes I wish I did. There's too many sick people in our world, and I wish that that was something that still happened today. I don't believe it does. I can give you a big, long reason I'm not going to. The bottom line is there's not people walking around like Jesus anymore, or for that matter, the early church leaders, the, you know, the disciples, not walking around touching people and healing them. I wish it was, but it's not. But what is taking place, what we are doing today, is that last part of verse 23, or 22. The poor have received, or have, the poor have the gospel preached to them. You can try to help someone's physical needs all you want, but in the end of it, if you're not helping their spiritual need of salvation, you're just wasting your time. The gospel of Jesus Christ needs to be preached to all the world. I think that's the most application, the best application I can give you from this first question I have. Today... Our world needs to hear about the good news of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Christians need to tell everybody and anyone about Jesus, the Messiah. 
that Jesus is the only source of salvation a person can find. There's no other way to heaven. There's no other way to be saved except through Christ. The reality is there is no hope for a person's spiritual future if they do not have a relationship with Jesus. No ifs, ands, or buts. I'm sorry. It don't matter. I, I, you might have heard different things on TV. Guess what? TV is wrong. There's only one way to heaven, and that only way is Jesus Christ. Followers of Christ have the hope of eternal life in their lives. While we do face hardships and trials, that's the reality of it, while we face hardships and trials, we also have the knowledge that one day we will be standing in the presence of Jesus, and we need to tell other people about this valuable information. Don't keep it to yourselves. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3. Keep your finger in Luke. Go to 1 Peter chapter 3, near the end of the, book of, near the, end of the New Testament, before the book of Revelation, after the books of Hebrew and James, Hebrews and James, you have 1 and 2 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 3, I'm going to read verse 13 to 16. Verse 13 to 16. So this is Peter, uh, the disciple, the same disciple who denied knowing Jesus three times, the leader of the early church. He says, verse 13, Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed and do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. And keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. The bottom line as Christians, we need to be prepared to give a defense. That means we need to be prepared to tell them about why we're so happy. If you're not a happy Christian, we need to talk about that. But that's a whole other story. The point is, you, there are going to be times in your life when you're in the midst of hardships, you have joy in Christ because of the salvation that he's given you. Tell other people about it, because if you don't do it, nobody else will. Bottom line. So the first question again was, who is Jesus? And the answer is very simple. Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior of all the world. Now my second question. Who was John the Baptist? Who was John the Baptist? And the answer is the Messiah's predecessor. You see the, the tense change there. Jesus is the Messiah. John is no longer alive. Jesus is still alive. John was the Messiah's predecessor. Look at verse 24 to 28 in Luke chapter 7 again. So back to Luke chapter 7. I'm going to read verse 24 down to verse 28. 24 to 28. And when the messengers of John had left, he began, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Those who are splendidly clothed and live in luxury are found in royal palaces. But what did you go out and see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and one who is more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. I say to you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John, yet he who is least in the kingdom of God, is greater than he. So John is the predecessor to the Messiah. Now, what did those who went out into the wilderness to hear John the Baptist preach, what did they go there to see? What was their reasoning for going there? And Jesus gives us some rhetorical questions. I guess that's the right word. 
He says a reed shaken by the wind. A reed is more or less like a weed, like a plant, like grain type stuff. When the wind blows, all this grain is going. If you can envision a grain field, you're not going to just see one stalk of grain. You know, you think about corn even. You go to a corn field, it's never just one thing of corn. I've driven through Nebraska, trust me. It's never just one thing of corn. It's a whole bunch of corn, tons of corn. So Jesus' question is, did you just go out to see just another prophet? Just another preacher? And of course the answer is no. Then he asked, did they go out to see a man dressed in soft clothing? Then he explains that this individual, these people are, are typically splendidly clothed and living in luxury in palaces, in royal palaces. So they're like royal, royalty. So I think the, the application here, not the application, but the, um, the point he's trying to make, the Lord's trying to make, is that did you go out to see some influential preacher? Did you go to see some, I don't know, leader in a denomination of Christian preachers? I mean, I hope that's not the reason you came here, that's for sure, as I'm not no leader in anything. I'm just here. Uh, did the people go out to see someone influential or, or royal? Because um, if they did, they sure came to the wrong person. I read this earlier in our call to worship, uh, Matthew chapter 3, verse 4. Now John himself had a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. So if they went to see someone dressed splendidly, they went to the wrong place because John was not a very splendid dresser. No, it was his diet might have been organic, though, so if that's something you're into, locusts might be a good way to go. I don't know. <laughs> All right, finally, the last question he asks is, did you go out to see a prophet? Did you go out to see a prophet? And the answer is yes, but kind of yes with, a, with an asterisk kind of thing. Um, the people went out to, the, to see a great prophet, but Jesus is saying that John was more than just any prophet. He was truly more than a prophet. In verse 27 and 28, Jesus gives two reasons why John is more than a prophet. The first is because John fulfilled biblical prophecy. Uh, Jesus quoted Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. John the Baptist was the one who was predicted by Scripture to prepare the way for the Messiah. Earlier, once again, we read in Matthew chapter 3, verse 1 to 3, and in Matthew, or Jesus, according to, actually, no, Matthew quotes Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. Matthew chapter 3, verse 1 to 3. Now in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet, when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So John was predicted in scripture. That's one reason why he's not just your average prophet. The second reason that he was not just your regular, you know, what the second reason he is more than a prophet was because he is greatest among all of mankind. Uh, look, look back at verse 28 again. Where am I at? Verse 28 again. I say to you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. Yet he who is at his least in the kingdom of God is greater than he is than he. So, born of women here is really a reference to being born as a human. Now, Jesus was born as a woman, but I think the clear reference here is that Jesus doesn't fall into this category. Jesus it was, it was born miraculously. God inputted Jesus into his mother's womb. Everybody else who's ever walked on the face of this planet, other than maybe Adam, don't fall into that category. Or Adam and Eve, I guess. But the, the point here is that John is greater than everybody else. That's what Jesus is saying. He's greater than all other, all other mankind. Anyone else who's ever walked. But then the Lord Jesus is, does tell us that John, even though John is greater than every other person who's ever walked upon this earth, he is still least among all those in the kingdom of God. 
Jesus probably said this because of the path that John had paved for the rest of us to come after him. John paved the way for us to enter the kingdom of God, for us to embrace salvation. Meaning John, since he was the first and since he he lived out in the wilderness the way he was, he is least amongst the Christians. Kind of an interesting thought. So here's the application I find here. I think it's important for us to find our calling, meaning find what God wants you to do and serve God wholeheartedly. That's exactly what John the Baptist did. You know, John gave everything in serving the Lord to the point of losing his own life. We read that before. Tabitha read that before. Christians need to do the same. This isn't saying that you need to give your life for, for Christ. It's saying that if you were in that opportunity, if you were in a spot where that might have, might have to happen, you should do so willingly. You should be prepared to give up everything in following Jesus. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 to 10 says this. I'm going to read verse 8 and 9 first. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not as a result of work, so that no one may boast. It's important to point this out. You are saved by the grace of God. If you embrace that grace, the grace that Jesus gave you in dying on the cross to forgive you of your sins and rising from the grave so you can go to heaven when you die, meaning you believe in that, you have faith in that, as a result of that faith you serve God. The order goes grace Faith works, not work, works, grace, faith. There is not a single thing you can do on the face of this planet in order to earn salvation. I don't care what anyone says. You might be the, the best person that's ever walked on this earth that's not also a Christian. In the end of it, you're in trouble because without Jesus, there's just no hope. Your works are not good enough if Jesus isn't in that equation. Look at verse 10. It kind of explains this. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Christians were created to serve God. Think about that for a second. You were created to serve God. So go serve him. Now you might be thinking, well, I'm not able to preach and teach. How can I possibly serve God? And I'm not going to deny that, you know, preaching and teaching is an important part of this. But guess what? Preaching and teaching is useless unless a bunch of other things take place first. I have a big, long list here. I found it online. I kind of assembled it of ways you can serve right here in this church and in the Christian faith as a whole, but specifically in this church. You can serve Central Baptist Church by mentoring new or struggling Christians. Maybe there's a Christian person that just came to the faith or someone who's on, you know, in that process type thing, someone new to the faith, you can come alongside them and mentor them, be a friend to them, encourage them. You can greet people as they come into the door. I think that's a very important thing that we tend to forget about. You can visit sick people or go visit some of the elderly. You can write or send cards or letters. I think that's a huge one. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I love sending cards and letters. I mean, who doesn't? Everyone... No one gets cards anymore. You know, I don't even know why the U.S. Postal Service is still around. I mean, imagine if you started writing letters. Something you can do right from your home. Start writing. As I tried that. Some of you got them. Some of you didn't. I wrote through the directory, and I'm in the process of getting ready to do that again. I'm going to just go from the beginning of the directory to the end of the directory and send you a card and try my best to encourage you. So if you're not in the directory, we need to get you in there. Cooking is a good one. We had some cooking this morning and food this morning. I, I would say cooking is near the top of the list of most important things. I mean, I, I, don't, I wouldn't be a very good preacher if you weren't going to feed me first. Transporting, how about transporting other people to church and for other purposes? I, I, I wish that we can have so many kids up here when, when they're departed that there's no more room. And a lot of those kids, I mean, you saw these kids up here tonight, uh, this morning, the kids that were up here, as well as the ones that come on, on Sunday evenings. These are kids that this is church for them. They go home, they don't get church. 
They don't get faith. They don't get anything about Christianity. This is church. I mean, you might think, well, how do I do that? Well, you can bring them to church. You know, I mean, don't, don't go kidnap the kid. Talk to their parents first. But invite them to church. Give them a ride to church. I mean, that's what Lou does. Lou, I, I, sometimes I wonder if Lou just throws them in the back of her car, just drags them to church. I mean, she just brings them all to church. It's great. And, and Thomas is the same way on, on Sunday nights. He just throws those kids in. I mean, yes, from what I understand, they, they're feeding him at the Chinese restaurant over here now. So I think, I think Thomas is doing very good. But, but, I mean, so, hey, think about that. Go to the Chinese restaurants in town and invite their kids to church. Maybe you get a meal um, through it. I don't know. Inviting people to church is a big thing. How about taking care of our property? I don't know if you guys know how hard it is to mow this lawn, but it's a royal pain in the rear end. I mean, it, you know, you got you to ride, but they're really cool lawnmowers. So if you've never ridden one of those lawnmowers, it's a really, really cool deal. So you should talk to me about mowing the lawn. Uh, taking care of our building, cleaning the building, uh, maintenance on the property. I mean, we had to replace the sump pump and the broiler broke this week. I'm telling you, I'm waiting for the third thing because something else is going to break, and hopefully it's after we leave. But there's stuff to do is the point. Setting up for events, like we had a beautiful event this morning. I, I, I just I want to give Jen and Lindsay and everyone else who helped so much credit for the work they did this morning. Praying for people, just go home and start praying. I do this as well. I open the directory. I go from the top to the end. I pray for everybody by name. Do it. Open your directory. Start praying for people. Audio-visual stuff. I mean, I'm a loud guy, but I'd eventually lose my voice if there wasn't a microphone on me. Children's ministries, that's a big one, like I said before. There's needs that need to be filled. Our, our, our ministry here at this church is a very small portion of that is me up here preaching. A lot of it's everybody else serving in their own way of serving. There's needs that need to be met for, in order for everything else to kind of line up and work together. And each one of these ministry opportunities are essential for the work of our church. Third and final question. Now I'm almost there. Third and final question. What will your response be? So we asked who Jesus was. Jesus is the Messiah. Who was John the Baptist? John the Baptist was the predecessor to the Messiah. And now the question is, what will your response be? Look back at Luke chapter uh, 7. I'm going to read verse 29 and 30. 29 and 30, Luke chapter 7. This is Luke kind of editorializing or narrating. He says, when all the people and the tax collectors heard this, they acknowledged God's justice, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected God's purpose for themselves, not having been baptized by John. So Luke essentially tells us what's taking place while Jesus is preaching. When those listening to Christ who had been baptized by John, heard what Jesus said, they acknowledged God's justice. Jesus characterized these individuals as all the people and the tax collectors. Tax collectors were like the number one group of sinners in, in the eyes of the Jewish people. I mean, I don't really care for the tax collectors either, but I don't think the IRS is as bad as these tax collectors were. They would steal money from people. They were the worst of the worst. And a lot of times they were Jewish people who literally worked for the Romans, which was like the worst thing you can do in that culture at that time. So Jesus is essentially characterizing these people as sinners. That's kind of the point that he's getting at. And remember, John told us in Luke chapter 3, verse 3, that John preached a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So what Jesus is saying is that all who repented of their sins acknowledged God's justice. These people agreed that God was just. But then we have the other group of people. The other group of people did not agree in the same way. Those listening to Christ who, put, who were not baptized by John 
heard what Jesus had to say and rejected God's purpose for their lives. Jesus characterized these people as the Pharisees and the lawyers. Now understand the significance of the Pharisees and the lawyers. These were the leading figures, not only of the Jewish faith from a religious perspective, they were the leading figures of the Jewish country from a political perspective. These were the important guys. If anyone was supposed to recognize Jesus as the Messiah, it was the Pharisees and the lawyers and the other religious leaders, and yet they did not. This, evident, this, uh, this rejection was evident in the fact that they were not, they did not, were not baptized. Uh, they did not receive John's baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Again, these religious leaders refused to repent of their sins and turned their lives over to Jesus as the Messiah. Now listen to what Jesus says. We're going to start at verse 31, then we're going to knock out the rest of the text. Verse 31, Jesus says, To what then shall I compare the men of this generation, and what are they like? So Luke's editorial in verses 29 and 30 was to help the readers understand what what Jesus was going to say in the rest of the text, verse 31 to 35. This generation is not a reference to all of humanity at that time, but a specific reference to the religious leaders. Now look at verse 32 to 34 as we see Jesus illustrating what these people were like. Verse 32 to 34. They are like children who sit in the marketplace and call to one another, and they say, we play the flute for you, or played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So Jesus compares this religious group, this group of religious leaders, to a group of children, is what he's saying. So in the parable that Jesus gives, he has two groups of kids. You have the first group of kids who are hanging out in the marketplace. They represent these religious leaders. Then you have the other group of kids which represent Jesus and John. The second group of children, Jesus and John, invite the first group to play with them. But the first group complains. They say, well, you didn't, you didn't sing along, you didn't participate in our wedding songs, nor did you participate in our funeral songs. They kind of complain from either perspective. The point here is this. John the Baptist ate no bread and drank no wine. He lived in the wilderness, a very nomadic life. Yet the religious leader said he was possessed by a demon. On the other end of it, you have Jesus, the Son of Man, who ate and drank with everybody, with the tax collectors, with whoever. Yet the religious leaders called him a gluttonous man and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Jesus was calling the religious leaders hypocrites. Then the Lord ends this portion of the text, this portion of uh, my text for this morning, uh, with pointing towards the wisdom found in Jesus' and John's followers. Look at verse 35. Let's finish the text. Yet wisdom is vindicated by all her children. Jesus' followers have witnessed what Christ and what John, John the Baptist had done. They have accepted that wisdom and embraced it. They chose to walk in the teaching of Jesus and, God, and follow God's ways. They accepted Jesus' message and repented of their sins rather than rejecting the Messiah's free gift of salvation in the way that the religious leaders did. So I'm going to close up kind of applying this to us. So what is your response going to be? Are you going to reject Christ? Or are you going to embrace and accept Christ? 
Just like the religious leaders of Jesus' time said, um, they, you know, you, you have heard all that, that Jesus had said. We read the Bible, you have it all right in front of you. You heard what John the Baptist said. The choice is in your hands. What are you going to do about it? Jesus died on the cross to forgive you of your sins and rose from the grave so that you can go to heaven when you die. All that you have to do now is accept this and embrace this and make this part of your life. So what are you going to do? Yet so many people reject this free gift of salvation. So many people refuse to repent of their sins and turn over to Christ. Turn with me real quickly to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, and I'm going to finish off in the first chapter of John. John chapter 1, verse 9. John chapter 1, starting at verse 9. John chapter 1, verse 9, down to verse 11, says this. There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. The true light is Jesus. Verse 10. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. Jesus came to this earth. He lived the perfect life. He died for the forgiveness of our sins, and he rose from the grave so we can go to heaven when we die. The question I have for you is, have you accepted it, or are you part of this group of people who have not received him? That's where you're at. Or will your response be acceptance? Now is your time. Now look at verse 12 and, thir- 12 and 13 of the same portion of uh, John chapter 1. John writes, but as, many as, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. If you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are a child of God. The Bible clearly tells us that all of us are sinful. There's not a single person upon this earth that has not committed a sin as long as you're not Jesus. Jesus was perfect. Everybody else was not. And every last one of us need a Savior because of our sins. Because our sins separate us from God. They condemn us to hell. Our sins are punishable by death. Someone needed to make that penalty. And if you don't have Jesus on your side, that someone is you. But if you believe in your heart that Jesus died and rose again and confess that belief outwardly, you will be saved. I like to say that confessing Jesus means putting him on display through your words and your actions, meaning what you do and what you say on a regular basis. But I would also say that confessing Jesus also means to preach it. If someone comes up to you, doesn't know about Christ, and you ask you, who is this Jesus guy? Guess what? Tell him who that Jesus guy is. Tell them who Jesus was in your life. The bottom line is life is too short. You don't know when it's going to come to an end. At any moment it can come. You could be 80-something years old. You can be 30-something years old. Your life can end at any moment. You might not have a tomorrow. You might not have an afternoon. What are you going to do about it? You may have lived a long and happy life full of many good deeds, but without Jesus you have no hope. You need to embrace Christ today and as a result have hope for the future. Let me close with some prayer. Dear God in heaven, I thank you and I praise you for all that you've done. I ask that you just help us focus on you and turn our lives over to you. Help us rely on you and know that you are the only way that we can get to heaven. No matter what we do, no matter what we say, no matter how many good things we participate in, none of them are good enough to get us to heaven on our own. We need Jesus. So Lord, I ask now that there's anyone listening to my voice, if there's anyone here today who has never accepted Jesus as the Lord and their Savior, allow them to turn their life over to you right now. We praise you and we thank you in your wonderful name. Amen.